Welcome to Diabretic, the podcast where a T1D artist and a T1D expert come together to bake some bread, and then we break bread with smart and interesting people as we talk through the human in health and technology. I'm Stephen Horrocks, PhD and expert in experiences with diabetes and devices. And I'm Melissa Horrocks. I am a T1D artist, maker, baker, (laughs) creator of all things. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about banana bread and the physical traces of insulin pump use, um, along with a number of the other kind of devices and experiences related to treatment. But it should be a fascinating, interesting conversation. And uh, come join us. Okay, so, Melissa. Yes. I have a question for you. <laughs> you haven't told me this question beforehand, so... I know. <laughs> I'm nervous. It's not, not nothing to be nervous <laughs> about, of course. But banana bread, right? Is banana bread bread? Oh, gosh. Or is it cake? <laughs> I don't know why they call it bread, because it's, like, just totally cake. I don't know. I mean, you make it in a bread pan, so I suppose... Yeah, What's I mean, the definition of bread? <laughs> I, <laughs> These yeah. are the kind of things I'm like, who cares? It's, well, but it's, it's interesting though, right? Food. Because, you know, it's, <laughs> it is. we call it banana bread. Um, but pretty much everything, except for the fact that it is kind of usually done in a loaf pan, everything else about it is cake-like. It's cake-like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> but it's not the only one either because we've got zucchini bread and pumpkin bread and other mm-hmm. of these uh that often are referred to as like quick breads yeah but complicated they're kind of basically cake <laughs> but also who cares because it's delicious <laughs> right yeah i mean there's a lot of sugar and stuff in it too so. well that's true but there i mean but there are a lot of breads Some that breads, have a lot of sugar too you're right you know so, i don't know what's the official definition of bread <laughs> Well, I don't know. And we had this conversation a little <laughs> bit because in a previous episode, um, Laura Furlano talked about bread adjacent or other like glutinous things. Because when we were talking about bread with her, she basically was like, I mean, you know, I don't eat much of bread, but like I eat noodles like crazy. And so then it raises this question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so what are the boundaries of bread? What defines something as bread? And that's fascinating. Um, well, okay. So the official definition of bread is mm-hmm. food. Made of flour, water, and yeast, or another leavening agent mixed together and baked. So, so if it's leavened, it's bread. But if it's not leavened, it's not bread. Mm-hmm. And then we run into some serious limitations <laughs> because unleavened breads it's still bread are Crackers? a staple <laughs> for a lot of people around the world yeah. still, even now. Yeah, you know and historians of bread, food historians, because that's a thing, mm-hmm. um, talk about how unleavened breads have been really the staple of kind of human sustenance for centuries, long before leavening practices became normalized in different ways around the world. Mm. So it's really... that's why. That's <laughs> so why my definition this- was... Still carried a lot of (laughs) questions. Yeah, but that's, you know what, that's part of the fun of this kind of stuff, though, because I... I mean, I'd I'd probably call it cake. Like, the texture, when you eat it, it feels like cake to me. Yeah. Although there's not frosting on it, I... 
but not all cakes have frosting. That's I not know, the defining characteristic of, <laughs> of cake either, right? But you got this crumbly texture almost, you know. Yeah, I mean. You don't have gluten development and kind of the production of a dough mm-hmm. like you often do with Yeah, I mean, you mix breads. it like a cake. And so you have a batter. Like a quick cake, yeah. Right? And so there's like batter versus doughs, but that's also a limitation. Like it's, anyway. <laughs> Good I, question. I find it interesting, <laughs> nevertheless. This is why Steve is a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I do what I do. Okay. Um, but this recipe is really good. Yeah. You've made this a number of times. Yeah. I, <laughs> I got it from an Instagram friend. Um, I followed her for a long time, Aubrey Benyon. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't, I've never met her in person, but Aubrey Benyon, she is awesome. She's full of color and life and I love following her. So we'll link her in the show notes, but she has this famous banana bread recipe she always talks about and it is so good every time we make oh, it. It's, it's um, ridiculously good. <laughs> so, I mean, what I love about but this, I mean, banana bread in particular is you just throw it all in there, mix it. Like there's no add this first, do this 10 million steps. It's like, throw it all in, mix it, pour it in, <laughs> pour it, it in, in. you know? So I love this recipe. It has almond as well as mm. vanilla, um, buttermilk, which is key Yeah, in some of the richness of the flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you butter the top when it comes out, which makes the top crispy. And um, we sprinkle sugar on the top, which kind of gives it like this caramelized crunch. crunch on the top, oh, yeah. which is mm. so good. Um, I think that's an addition <laughs> I just did one time because I thought it sounded like it would <laughs> sweeten it up. <laughs> it certainly does um, Definitely doesn't need that, but it is kind of fun to but add that delicious. layer. Um, it's yeah. awesome. We, uh, <laughs> we've, we'd been saving up bananas for a long oh time. <laughs> Our freezer was just full of black bananas. Holy cow. Like... <laughs> I don't even know how many. How many did we end up having I, in there? We had like 10 that yeah. we pulled out and Harper had her little friend over and <laughs> her eyes when she saw the black bananas, I think she was like, wow, you guys have some really rotten these bananas. Look, these look really bad. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's it's about the way that the, the cold interacts with the peel. It just turns it black. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, good tip if you don't know you can throw your bananas in the freezer and collect them yes Um, as they start to get overripe and you don't want to eat them anymore pop them in the freezer Um, it'll keep them more or less at that point mm -hmm. even though the peels get black yeah i mean they get really gross um and slimy and (laughs) yeah so like if anyone has ever accidentally left their bananas in the car when they went to the store in the winter time you come back out in the morning they're black it's because the the cold interacts with the peel. It turns it all black. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's gone rotten, though, right? Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, Harper's friend, man, she went to town and peeled those. She peeled them and squished them into the bowl and like mashed them all up. I didn't even like tell her to. I was just like, oh, I'll come help you guys in a minute. And she just like went, went for it, which I was grateful for because that's the worst part is trying to <laughs> peel those things. <laughs> yeah, she she was just mashing away was and so I cute. came in a few minutes later and I was like, here, let me stir it around and see if there are any clumps. And there were a couple. And I was like, oh, there's a couple here. I like to do it this way. And she just bam, 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 bam. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, the kids loved helping, um, which is another great reason to make this because it's not finicky. You just 
added in. Even if you got the ingredients a little off, it would be fine. I mean, <laughs> speaking I of. We have <laughs> some experience in that uh, area. Man, there was like a month period where I... <laughs> so I think my parents were visiting and I made this banana bread because I was like, oh, my dad will really like this. And we cut into it in the morning and I'm like, this tastes weird. What is wrong with this? <laughs> and I'd forgotten to put sugar in it. <laughs> and I mean, it was okay. It sure. definitely tasted weird. Uh, but like the structure, you wouldn't have known. I didn't know I forgot an ingredient. Yeah. I mean, especially since you sugared <laughs> the top. And so there was sweetness present, but just not in the bread. I don't know if I sugared the top of that. I think I we think did. But anyway, it I think matter, that was when we started sugaring the top. Yeah. Because I had forgotten the sugar. I was like, let's add some sweetness to the top and see if it helps. <laughs> and then we were like, ooh, we should do oh, this. Hey, this is good. But then while they were still here, I then tried to make it again. And <laughs> this time. <laughs> uh, well, I came down in the morning because you had made it kind of in the middle of the night, more or less. And I came down in the morning and opened the microwave. And it's like, oh, she must have accidentally like double melted some butter for this recipe. Nope. Forgot it. I <laughs> uh, just didn't get put in there. It actually was really good still. <laughs> it was still delicious. Which really surprised me. I thought the yeah. anyway, uh, so that. test out leaving some stuff out. Maybe <laughs> you'll find a new way to make it. I don't know. It, for real? I we could not tell visually that we had left things out, really. No, I don't think. I don't think so. I mean, the one without sugar was definitely less dark. Yeah, it was lighter. In the bake, mm -hmm. which makes sense because the sugar caramelizes and mm -hmm. so you get that darker crust, which is one of my favorite things about this recipe is it gets super caramelized on the outside and mm -hmm. it's so rich and delicious. But yeah. anyway. It's great. Try it out. <laughs> you won't regret it. Okay, so before we jump into the conversation uh, centered around our main theme for this episode, we wanted to, uh, I guess, bring forward a little bit of news <laughs> to the show, and that is that we have a new website. Um, I don't know if it will be live when this goes up or fairly soon, soon thereafter. This week. But it will be this week. Um, but we've been kind of uh, putting some things together there and getting this started for like <laughs> quite some time. And yeah. so I, uh, <laughs> I'm a designer, but I hate web design. I hate it ever since college. <laughs> I just shut down. So, but I am picky about how things look. So I'm like, I don't want it to look this way, but I also don't have any <laughs> desire to fix it. <laughs> so, you know, it'll look what it looks like, but and it'll be informative. <laughs> well, oh my word. Uh, you're saying that as if it's like bad. It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, but none of um, my designer friends judge me. <laughs> but, you know, the nice thing about that is that we can continue to update the design and layout yeah. over time. And so that'll be great. But the nice <laughs> thing is that this is going to do a few things for us in relation to the show. Right. Um, for one thing, it will be a lot easier for us to be able to help all of you get access to the episodes and the other content that we are talking about yeah. on the show all in one place. Um, as of right now, we have a like link tree uh, yeah. URL, which is 
pretty handy for sure. It's a, a clickable. clickable, streamlined way to get people to different streaming services, but it doesn't necessarily allow us the room to like produce all of the content the way that we want to, accessible yeah, the way we want it to sure. be. So and, check it out. But that's not the focus of this episode. <laughs> um, we are, however, uh, going to talk a little bit about the ways that using devices in the context of treatment and, cr- and chronic illness, and particularly in relation to diabetes, since that's our kind of focus right now here, leave traces of their uh, relationship to people, our relationship to them in ways that in some ways are like obvious and in other ways are a little less so. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they do that in some really kind of conspicuous ways. And part of what's interesting about this, right, as we've talked about in previous episodes, a lot of these devices, the CGMs, the uh, glucose monitors, the insulin pumps, these devices are absolutely life-changing for yeah. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they are oriented to, to like assist in, in producing like different quality of life changes for people is, is serious. Like it's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. And you know, as with any life changing thing, sometimes that comes with, uh, difficult aspects of those things, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not so simple, right? I've heard people talk about these things, the insulin pump and the CGM in terms of like a miracle that Mm -hmm. this has been a miracle in their lives. Right. Yeah. I think it, it changes so much about how you live day to day and your relationship to, I th- you know, remembering to bring everything with you and yeah. all the things you need when you're doing shots that, like, is sort of not eliminated, but day-to-day at least because you're only using it, you know, changing it every couple days or week, you know, depending on your device, um, which changes a lot of, I think, the frustration of having a million things you have to remember all the time at least for me (laughs) yeah and so even though you still have a ton of things to remember there's a lot fewer and that's like a big deal yeah but it's also complicated yeah it adds another layer of right complication obviously yeah big time and that happens in a lot of ways um but one of the things that i think is interesting about these types of devices and it's particular to things like insulin pumps and CGMs, but there are other kinds of devices involved in treating chronic illness that are similar in this way. Mm -hmm. They are always present, right? Yeah. And you have a couple of these devices, Mm -hmm. right? You have a CGM and an insulin pump. These things don't really ever go away. Yeah. They're just (laughs) there. Yeah. The other day I, my, sensor had died it, i just now thought about talking about it in death terms oh that is interesting <laughs> my sensor died my sensor died <laughs> i mean it basically just was the last day of my sensor and then my pump ran out of insulin at the same time and so i took them off and it was like whoa <laughs> you know that doesn't happen a lot i feel like it never lines up you know it's usually a day off or something yeah. 
But when it does, it's like weird. It's so weird. And it's weird that it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's strange how having both of them off feels freeing. Mm. But, I, you know, they're still there. They're just not on you. You know, they're still present yeah. and waiting and looming like, mm. oh, I have to put it back on. <laughs> so but in a lot of ways, though, it's like it's become a part of. Mm-hmm. you and your body's like processes and things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah every see. little daily task, you know, yeah. going to the bathroom, changing your clothes, all mm-hmm. the things that are like, you know, back of your brain, normal things yeah, just turn in into everything. like kind of annoying tasks. Like, okay, I've got to hold it in between my chin and my chest while I like try and put my pants on and like where do you put it like yeah let me set it on the dresser but then i have to stay close to the dresser instead of like if you step away then it falls and does that like pull thing because ah. like i'm too tall mm. just too tall for it to reach the ground yeah. <laughs> oh. steve's heard and seen uh. that happen it's many times it doesn't frankly. always pull off because that tape is strong that insulin pump tape is strong speaking of but that yank mm. Uh, right <laughs> i steve's great at sound effects so, <laughs> <laughs> that's um but you know this what you're saying kind of points toward one of the key issues here right and that is if you're using this thing to facilitate your injection of insulin all day every day it has to be there mm-hmm. it has to be there right it has to be present all the time, which means you got to put it somewhere. Yeah. And you've talked about a couple of them, right? On the one hand, like, okay, so let's say you've got some pants on. Those pants have a pocket. You can put it in the pocket. That can work. Cool. That's That seems straightforward. Women's pockets. Okay. <laughs> can we talk about gendered, like, pants? <laughs> yeah. Because not all pants are created equal in the pocket department. Yeah. <laughs> Fake pockets, tiny pockets. Yes. And there was a uh, study, this would have been a few years ago, I want to say 2018, um, that a couple of people did looking at all of the, uh, I think it was like five or six of the largest brands of uh, jeans, women's jeans, the highest selling like articles of clothing Mm -hmm. and assessed the pocket size (laughs) in relation to all of the most popular cell phones on the market. Oh my gosh. <laughs> cell and phones. <laughs> this will surprise very few of you. <laughs> but the vast majority of them, I want to say almost none of them. There might have been one or two outliers here. Um, none of them could fit one of these phones. Yeah, front pockets especially. Oh, front pockets are a non-issue. <laughs> the back pockets are... Even back pockets. A little better, but... But they're still not going to hold your, your phone's iPhone. Your still going to stick whatever out. Whatever it was. <laughs> I think like 11 at that I don't point know. is what it was when that, <laughs> when that study was done. But, um, you know, none of these phones will fit there. And what that means is, in the context of insulin pumps, the size of pockets will affect how well you can or can't mm-hmm. use your... Po- I mean, do you use pockets? Um... So if I'm wearing jeans, I'll like clip it onto the edge of the pocket, but Mm. it doesn't really go in like it's not concealed in the pocket by any means. It's like sticking out because it's wide for a pocket. 
Um, but I usually, yeah. I don't know, I'm a leggings wearer. <laughs> so, Fair. I mean, that's kind of my go-to is like stick it in the top of your tight leggings. Like the waistband, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I'll stick it in the front of the pocket, but it's more half in, half out because I have a clip on it that like mm-hmm. clips to the pocket. Yeah. It's still kind of annoying. And so like a couple of things there. For one, we get to another side of the way that gendered fashion conventions Mm -hmm. affect how you can and can't keep your insulin pump. Because my pockets in my pants that are designed for for men, quote unquote, masculine Mm -hmm. presenting people, (laughs) right? Um, Front pockets and and back pockets are not only deep enough to hold the insulin pump itself as a whole, but they are cut in a way that provides space enough for objects. And I guess it depends on how tight your pants are. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know. But again, fashion conventions, right, are gendered. And that area around the kind of from like uh, hips to knees, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Gendered fashion conventions in general make women's pants tight from the waist to the knee. And there is some variation, depending on the cut, from the knee down um, yeah, on how tight they are. Yeah, fashion trends kind of leaned towards more baggy kind of wear in yeah. the past couple of years. But. but nevertheless, right, there is rarely, if ever, space for things. It is funny because I did try on some um, looser fit pants recently, and the pockets were still, like, short. <laughs> Like, they don't have deep pockets. It might have just been the brand. I don't know. I'm not an expert on pants, clearly, but... (laughs) Fair enough. I mean... (laughs) And, like, dressing rooms lately are not a thing, so I haven't really tried on pants in a long time, like, at a store. I guess that's a good point, too. So I'm not up to date on current trends. There's not a whole lot. Dressing rooms. (laughs) Yeah, in dressing rooms, because, you know, pandemic has really thrown a wrench in that gear. Um but still, I mean, you have to put it somewhere and it's yeah. awkward and weird and changes the like way that you wear your clothes. Yeah. And I don't know if we've really talked a lot about you and your research specifically. Um, but I mean, you've done a lot of research on this and interviews and I mean, your dissertation basically is yeah, largely around some of these conversations of these. for yeah. sure. And you know, this uh, this conversation like intersects with so many, I think, important conversations. Mm-hmm. And we've already started talking through a lot of those with guests and with each other right. in a lot of these episodes so far. But yeah, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is some of the ways that device use, uh, you, you know, we're talking about um, some very particular things in this episode about how using these devices leaves a trail. It leaves traces, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that sometimes is missed in that, because we talk a lot about traces on the body, which Mm -hmm. we'll come back to in a second. But one of the things that we don't usually talk about is how it affects some of your other cultural practices. Mm -hmm. And so the traces of pump use show up in some really like conspicuous places, odd places, different places so clothing choice Mm -hmm. 
is oftentimes, and uh, you know, we've talked about this, you and I, yeah. but I've talked with other people about this as well. The very act of using these devices does affect the kinds of clothes people buy, the kinds of clothes they decide to wear and when. Mm-hmm. And when you layer that with the ways that fashion and the amount of work required by some is deeply gendered. Yeah. Um, we start to add some layers of complexity here. And, you know, the, the traces of pump use in the area of something like fashion and clothing is disproportionately felt by women and in particular women of color as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean... It is interesting to think about, I, you know, I've been, <laughs> been doing it for so long that I guess your fashion choices sort of reflect ease where you can, mm-hmm. you know, like I could never just wear a dress without thinking about where to put it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not like you want to clip it into like the where front, you, put it? you know, like. Because some so, people do. Some people put it in their bra. Yeah, and but then but you have to have a lot of things too. A big enough bra to fit it. So if and you're so a small-chested woman, yeah. or you know, I mean, so there's a lot of factors that go into like, oh, hide it. I remember when you were doing your studies, and it was like hide it in your bra, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> how? Does how? One, how does one? <laughs> it does do? not work. <laughs> <laughs> but and so, but that's a good point because for some, it doesn't. It can't yeah. work in that way. For some, it does. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that for some, using something like your waistband right. works really well. Mm-hmm. For others, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, something like a dress. And so again, we come back to gendered fashion conventions. And a dress usually, for one thing, is a, a like uniform piece of cloth or otherwise uh like sewn together cloth <laughs> that uh, from from more or less shoulder past uh, past your waist anyway mm-hmm. almost to your <laughs> knee or more and so but where but where's your pump site yeah right your pump site's somewhere in the middle of your body and so yeah. <laughs> do you <laughs> uh, do you pull your dress all the way up past your past your waist in order to get to it way up there on yeah and i think yeah that's i think that's the biggest you've hit on the nail the biggest problem with like where you put it is like well then how do you access it because okay Ah. i can hide it yeah on my leg or in my waistband but then it's like all right let me pull up my dress to (laughs) dose this insulin which is super awkward so at the end of the day but that also (laughs) so that requires that you remove yourself from certain public scenarios or situations Mm -hmm. in order to do the act of injection, which as we have mentioned with some of our guests uh, previously, which was and remains one of the kind of culturally stigmatizing things related to injections with syringes Mm -hmm. is that there is a compulsion to move that kind of medical treatment, these devices out of public view Mm -hmm. into somewhere like a bathroom. And if you're wearing a dress and your pump is on your, let's say, the waistband of your underwear or something, mm-hmm. you still have to go into the bathroom <laughs> to 
to do the work of, in, of injecting. Yeah. I mean, I started wearing like biker shorts yeah. <laughs> under my tresses. So right. then it was like, all right, well, check out my biker shorts, you know? Totally. So I, I think there's a level of where you are and like professionalism that comes into play too. Cause yeah, if you yeah. just like DGAF, <laughs> like whatever, totally. you know, <laughs> as I become a parent, I sort of, a lot of that goes to the wayside. A lot side. of that I just don't care. I'm like, yeah. you know what, whatever. <laughs> we just got to like Pulling out my insulin pump. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think what you touched on is key, right? That in all of these kinds of decisions related to where you put your pump, you mentioned going to the bathroom. If it's on your waistband or in your pocket, uh, either you better hope that your tube is super long so that it can <laughs> just reach all the way down to the floor mm-hmm. or you've got to then put your pump somewhere else. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, you put it like, uh, you hold it with your chin against your chest <laughs> or something else, possibly. Clip it somewhere. Clip it if you have a clip, some people shirt. don't have, some clips, people don't have clips on them. But the clip is another way of like all of this still coming back to, you have to have access to the device in order to do the work it's intended to do. Mm-hmm. And so the choice as to where we put it is still deeply affected by what it's trying to do. Um, and so, uh, as, as you're maneuvering, as you're sleeping and you're putting it on the bed or some people put it like under their pillow cause their tube is long enough, or some people clip it into whatever articles of clothing they're wearing or whatever, it's still got to be accessible. Yeah. Um, which, and this is a side note, um, <laughs> because there is a, a pump manufacturer that went out of business a few years ago. They pulled out of the market. And that was Animus. Mm-hmm. Um, Animus had a uh, whatever con- contract working relationship with One Touch, which is a blood meter glucose meter company. Yeah, I used this for years. And they had a wireless connection between the meter and the pump, mm-hmm. but you could control the pump from the meter. Yeah, it was awesome. Which is amazing. Yeah. And with all of the current devices that are all connected with different devices mm-hmm. right now, as they exist, um, very few of them have tried to incorporate that kind of thing, which was like game changing. Yeah. It was really cool. And also like it was waterproof and... Like I could swim with it, not worry. Like I think the new ones are kind of water resistant. Resistant, I think is the language they use. Yeah, but mine always like goes haywire if I put it in the water. So yeah, I mean, so it's still not intended to be <laughs> like submerged. Oh, the animus pump, right? It was green. <laughs> it was. It was like a shimmery metallic I love that green. Pump. It was a good pump. That's the one I cried over <laughs> when yeah. I put it in the mailbox to send it yeah. back. And. It wasn't until that pump was gone that a lot of the realization of how important being able to control it from mm-hmm. an external device was because you were able to just tuck it somewhere in your clothing, wherever, mm-hmm. and then control it remotely. Yeah. You know, but it wasn't until a different device when you couldn't do that that it was like, what the crap? <laughs> Why wouldn't this have it? This was... It was basically just like, oh, it can send send blood tests basically yeah it'll compile your data but it won't control the device um and there are some there's some background there there's some (laughs) 
there are some uh, legal issues that have come up with a particular manufacturer that has greatly limited their wireless connectivity ever since. So we're going to put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're talking a lot about these devices. They have a presence, right? Whether it's your insulin pump, which is kind of um, a little bit more obvious in this way because it is a pager-sized item, as we talked about. With right. <laughs> um, and it's got to go somewhere. And it's connected to you. So you got to find a way to deal with that. But, you know, you've also and talked about... there are about, tubeless pumps and things yeah, 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 like yeah. that. So this For isn't sure. always across the board. But but that that tubeless pump is attached to your body. Right. It's and a so it still bigger. affects some of your decision making. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but obviously would be controlled remotely. You don't pull it off of your body because it's attached. Right. It's stuck on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've also, you know pointed toward a couple of other things that are also always nearby and present because the the blood glucose meter your tester is always there you know right where is it <laughs> yeah and uh the- thanks tile <laughs> i recently got a tile um any diabetics out there get one of these because it has saved me hours I only oh, got it for word. Christmas a couple months ago. Oh my gosh, what have I been doing all these years? Like, it, it basically <laughs> it's a little device that you put in there and you can ping it from your phone when you lose it. So like, when you, on your phone. <laughs> when you lose it. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, it's so great. Um, get one. You push the thing, it rings. This isn't sponsored, but get no. one because. <laughs> but like Tile, if you want to sponsor, like just uh, like let us know. It's yeah. amazing. I seriously like. I yeah, it it's a life changing device. Honestly. Yeah, that uh, big time. <laughs> um, oh man, like hours spent. Oh, Where was no the last idea. time I had it? Like looking, I everybody who has diabetes knows. But it, it because it. It does. It actually gets to a point where it's actually pretty dire. Um, the CGM that you have needs to be calibrated yep. multiple times a day. And if you don't, then it doesn't work. It doesn't perform its function. It won't show you your information about where it's estimating you are. And so you have to use your blood tester to calibrate it. Mm-hmm. If you don't know where your tester is, then you have no idea where you're at. Yep. And so it's got to be there. You know, and I remember I had a I had a conversation with someone uh, a few years ago, and he was talking about his diagnosis moment, and he was young. I can't remember exactly how old, um, but probably single digits age, like nine, maybe eight or nine. And uh, he was talking about the moment in the hospital when his nurse came in with. Um, his blood tester that his parents had purchased there, I think, um, and was showing him how to use it. And he became immediately aware of the way that this thing would have to be by him, with him, forever. Yeah. That this device was not going anywhere um, because he was going to have to rely on it forever yeah right and that kind of 
I mean, we're talking about a serious shift. That's a big realization for a kid, you know? I don't know if I thought of that in a way that like that. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I think what's interesting here is that this came in conversation. Sure. Right. Because there are a lot of things that we experience and we don't realize their implications until we're thinking back on them. And I think that's what this situation was. Mm -hmm. This person was like, you know, I realized then, and I don't think that I was necessarily conscious of it, but I realized that Mm -hmm. I would have this forever. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the necessity of this thing being with you at all times brings with it a lot of complications because those little pouches, while fairly compact, I, in even in large pockets, mm-hmm. these kinds of devices aren't necessarily easy to put there. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a woman, I mean, we carry purses, we carry bags, right? That makes that a lot simpler than if you don't carry a bag around. <laughs> right. Um, so I can't imagine carrying a blood tester in your pocket. That, I mean, I, uh, clearly well, I would because not be pe- able to. <laughs> because people can't. You can't carry that in your pocket. <laughs> right. And so, you know, a lot of people then have to find some way to have a bag of their supplies. And if you're not using an insulin pump that's attached to your body, you've got to have your insulin. Right. And so then there's more objects and you've got to have them with you. Mm-hmm. And so even when they're not connected to your body necessarily, they have to be here mm-hmm. and they have to be accessible again. Yeah. And this makes traveling or going anywhere like <laughs> oh my word. so crazy. I, I mean, the amount of like thought and stress that goes into making sure you're not forgetting things when you go anywhere, like even just traveling like for the day somewhere like, okay, is my pump going to run out of insulin? Is my sensor going to die? I mean, not as big of a deal because that's not like, you know, if it dies, it's fine. But like, (laughs) do I have my blood tester? Oh, am I going to run out of strips? How many strips Uh do I have in the bottle? Like better bring an extra. It's like, okay, I'm just low. (laughs) I'm going to have to like bring the stuff to be able to change it. And also I'd, I guess I'd better like bring an extra infusion site in case. Right. I mean, because if it gets pulled out and I am an hour and a half away from home, I'm going to need to like switch it out or, you know. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing, like imagine you're going on vacation every day. Like, because those are the feelings you have when you go on vacation. You're like, what am I forgetting? Am I going to forget my toothbrush? All those things. It's like, that's every day because, (laughs) you know, if you're going to be gone for a couple hours, you need those things. If you're going to be gone, I mean, it just adds this layer of like dependency on these devices that is, you know, part of, it's not like I stress every day about it. Like that's not because you become used to it. You become like second nature to like, check in your head like okay do i have this 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 it's Mm -hmm. like the checklist in your brain that just plays automatically all the time (laughs) but that means that i mean yeah it's normalized it becomes a Mm -hmm. normal part of your like process and everything but that is extra labor still that's extra work involved in yeah the everyday i think that's why people have so much burnout and big time you know people talk about the exhaustion of Mm -hmm. having diabetes and it you know that (laughs) obviously that's a big part of it it has to be you know because on the one hand it's exhausting 
because as I've seen people talk about on <laughs> like the diabetes online community spaces like Twitter, um, like your body just isn't doing the things to survive. And so you have to consciously do the work of an organ. Mm-hmm. Right. That's like the, that's like the logic of it. Right. And so, but that means that your brain has to be like on yeah. all the time. And so the work involved in doing all the things, gathering the things, but then also your body is doing all these things and it's exhausting. And then the psychological side of like, you know, like if I don't do these things, then like I would die. And so I just have to do these things. And it's, yeah, the burnout <laughs> is is super layered and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when you're changing sites. I mean, we kind of talked about, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet in this episode, but like the tape and mm-hmm. the like process involved in putting them back on and taking them off and switching them out is also, you know, <laughs> always happens at the most inconvenient times. Oh, like my word. before you want to go to bed or before you want to leave. And it's like, we're about to head out the door and I get this alert that says zero units left. And it's like, Uh, Oh yeah, I was alarmed, but then like I was distracted and here we are. Like (laughs) I've got to do my pump. (laughs) Got to do this. And, uh, that kind of leads into another aspect of, you know, signs of device wear that we were going to talk about. Yeah. Because, you know, up until now we've been talking mostly about the way that these treatments and devices have a like physical presence in as much as they like their proximity that they have to be by, they have to be near. It affects our decision-making mm-hmm. in relation to all of these everyday things. But if we're talking about something like an insulin pump, it is intended to inject insulin into your body, which means it has yeah. to be on it <laughs> all in the it. time. In it. Yeah. In slash on. That's my favorite little slashy. <laughs> But so what that means is that these devices have to be attached somehow. And that gets to one of the things that you were just just gesturing toward. Mm -hmm. Because these adhesives that are used on either the infusion set for the insulin pump or to hold the like continuous glucose monitor sensor on Mm -hmm. to your body, these adhesives have to be strong enough to like maintain its hold for several days on your skin. Yeah, some of the devices are like a week or two, right? So that's so now more some of the, intense. Yeah, some of the CGMs are, mm-hmm. it's getting longer for sure. And there was one that was just FDA approved. Uh, I'm going to have to go and look up some details because I haven't seen much about this CGM yet, but I think it was intended for like 30 days Wow, use. that would be cool. It would be cool. <laughs> Mine's but, six days for now, so that feels, you know... Unreal. Never long enough. <laughs> and expensive to be changing out those oh, sites yeah. constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about a complicating factor there. Because even in the context of, let's say, a six-day CGM or a three-day insulin pump, sometimes those adhesives are pretty harsh on your skin. Yeah. I mean, reactions, spot like red spots, you know irritation uh it's really interesting because the way that uh 
they leave marks. Yeah. And then, you know, you're supposed to like rotate around so you're not supposed to be doing it. Mm-hmm. But when you have two devices and this limited area of where it actually works for you, like right. there's a lot of people who experiment in different places mm-hmm. and things like that. And for me, I, you know, when I wear them in different places, they get pulled off. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, everybody finds the places that work for them and you try and rotate in those areas. But, you know, there's a lot of things that complicate that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we've got this issue of, okay, so the adhesives themselves can cause issues with your body. Mm-hmm. Because lest we forget, and I think we've touched on this a couple of times in other contexts, every body is different. Yeah. The physiologies, <laughs> the processes involved in how the body is interacting with things mm-hmm. is unique to every body. And so the chemicals involved in those adhesives mm-hmm. can be totally chill yeah. with your body. Like your skin ain't no thing. That thing pulled right off. No big deal. Well, it kind of depends on like what's on the surface of your skin too. I mean, sure. you can clean <laughs> clean the area as best you want, but it just depends on random circumstances a lot of the time. It certainly can. And, you know, but for some, it might be easy. For others, you leave it on for a day and a half and the the rashing starts. Mm-hmm. I've had that and, happen and it is miserable. Oh, it's not. <laughs> and then you're cool. thinking, ugh, like taking it off and wasting it is like such a, like the cost of that mm-hmm. is a worry too so people endure it and then it's like worse Mm -hmm. and And so we're talking about itchiness on your skin we're talking about pain infection all this kind of stuff on the surface of your skin related to how these things are interacting with it and then you have to just turn around and put it back on somewhere around the area somewhere else somewhere that it you know and so a lot of people are finding ways to try and deal with that. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned one, and that is, you know, uh, some people will use something like an alcohol pad or uh, to clean the exact area immediately before sticking the thing on there, um, let it dry, and then pop pop that thing on there. And for some, that's enough because it, it gets rid of any of those, like, other, those foreign objects, for lack of a better term, right, on your skin. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, if it's your body's reaction to the adhesive itself, that's not going to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, you, for example, when this was becoming an issue, you got a a prescription. Oh, yeah. My doctor recommends Flonase. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You like put it on right before and let it dry and it. I mean, it's really fascinating how something like that. (laughs) Right. You know. This, works, this spray so. that is intended, I mean, I use it all the time myself, <laughs> but not for my skin prior to device connection. Uh, <laughs> but the use of this you know, pharmaceutical chemical agent, basically spraying on your skin in order to kind of act as a barrier between the chemicals on the adhesive and your skin so it doesn't react, mm-hmm. is um, it's fascinating. And for some, it makes a huge difference. And it yeah. can influence the way that that kind of rashing, irritation, itchy, mm-hmm. pain kind of stuff from the adhesive. Uh, yeah, happens. I mean, a lot of people are really sensitive to those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. there's different tapes you can try and different. I, right. It's crazy the amount of, I mean, 
it just is luck, like depending on how your body's going to respond. And it's not always the same. You know, I've gone through periods of time when mm. I don't have any issues and then times when I'm very sensitive to things. And it probably has a lot to do with like the dry, you know, whether it's dry yeah. or humid or different conditions of what, you know, what's happening with your body. And so even if you are finding ways that works well for you, to deal with some of these like physical traces of these devices stuck to you, you can't rely on that being firm and steady, (laughs) consistent, because bodies change all the time, (laughs) as does the weather, like you said, as does, you know, um, and sometimes they just don't stick. Yeah. Because if, you know, if you have particularly oily skin in this place or this moment or usually or whatever... Mm -hmm. Um, the adhesive might not work as well. If you live somewhere, I remember talking with someone who lived on the Gulf Coast and it is really humid where they live and the humidity made it almost impossible for them to keep the site on. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there are a lot of those other kind of issues there. Um, but the other thing that is important, is not just on, like you said, but it's yeah. also in yeah. your body. And, and that injecting- leads different... Yes. You know, insulin into your body in one spot for a certain amount of days. And so those things also leave traces mm-hmm. on slash in your body in ways that can raise similar kinds of complications. Yeah, it when you take the insulin pump side off, it is weird because it has this weird like it's not really suction, but like the way that it's attached to your body, it creates this like indent on your body where the like tubing has gone in and it's really interesting and that like what when you take it off lasts for a little bit and doesn't go away immediately and I remember showing you this close up and I don't know if you just hadn't ever looked at it close up I mean we've been together forever (laughs) that seems silly but I you know I remember your reaction to seeing it close up and Mm -hmm. you were like whoa like this is really intriguing (laughs) well because it was it's literally a hole through your skin Mm -hmm. that goes beneath it beneath the skin into your body because the cannula that that like plastic tube has to go in there to inject that insulin Mm -hmm. and so when you leave that tube in there for several days and then pull it out it's not like your skin just Seals the sound back up. <laughs> it doesn't just seal back up though, right? The point is that it does. It leaves a hole. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the red potentially, like the, the issues from the adhesives right there. And then you also literally are full of holes. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't just go away that moment. For some, it, it doesn't healing. go away for days or even weeks. Yeah, You know, I remember having a conversation with someone and we were... It was a a phone interview, and um, I remember her talking about this particular thing Mm -hmm. um, and how her body's healing processes were such that it was sometimes as much as like four or five weeks before the whole, the sign, the direct sign of that uh, injection location went away. And so as we were talking, I, she said something about, well, you know, I have, and I hear Russell and she was looking at her body 
and counting how many she could see at that moment. And so uh, besides the one that was currently attached, she could see eight locations Mm -hmm. where she had been injecting over the past, I guess it would be like a month and a half. No, like eight's a little, that's not true. A few weeks anyway. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that has real implications for how people can understand their bodies and what they're doing. Yeah. Or how they're and the way you feel comfortable. I mean, think about wearing a swimsuit. You yeah. know, I mean, a lot of people are uncomfortable in swimsuits because of the way <laughs> our culture makes us feel about our bodies. Right. Um, but I, th- that just adds another layer of like, you know, something you have to think about and mm-hmm. worry about people like, and I, I think there's a lot of people out there trying to dismiss the judgment and dismiss kind yeah. of, you know, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> it doesn't mean it doesn't have an that influence. people at the swimming pool are going to, you know, understand that, you know, it's like, Ooh, what is that on your body? What is that thing? Yeah. What is that? You know, or what are all those marks? You know, like curious right. people are curious about things. You yeah. know, I'm a curious person. Even um, if they're not ill-intentioned. Yeah. But also, even if we are conscious about the way that these socially constructed norms mm-hmm. are limiting how we're supposed to act in society, it doesn't mean that subconsciously they're not still having an influence on our decisions mm-hmm. because they do. And, you know, bringing up the swimsuit, this person also talked about how they had chosen to stop wearing bikinis because of these marks Mm. and had worn them consistently prior to their diagnosis. Mm. Um, And, you know, part of why that's important, you know, you hear that and it's like, well, but like a big deal, you make another decision. But part of what is important here is that there are certain cultural norms like I said, she was on the Gulf Coast. And so the like social practices that she was engaged in all the time was usually out on a boat, mm-hmm. swimming and or doing other water sports. And so, you know, that that kind of decision actually has pretty big implications. Yeah, and emotional right? implications. And yeah. I think that's that's one of the biggest things that we talk about and kind of are mm-hmm. fascinated with is how these things like emotionally affect people. Uh, so, you know, it's yeah. a conversation that definitely we want to continue having for sure as time goes on. But, um, and so, you know, these kinds of traces, they can differ. And we talked about the, the kind of rashing in relation to adhesive was, we talked about the, the holes left mm-hmm. by these devices. Um, and even for like insulin shots, I mean, yeah. the amount of like, cause you find spots that don't hurt. I mean, right. there's, because people are like, Oh, just move it around. You know, it's not that hard. You have lots of places on your body, but like when you think about it, when how many shots you have to give yourself every day for mm-hmm. everything you ever eat, right? not to mention like your long and lasting insulin. I mean, it becomes really taxing to find different places. And so then you know, you're giving your shot in a similar place and you're building up scar tissue or yeah. you're, you know, <laughs> different things like that mm-hmm. can really affect. I remember going when I, I went on a trip to Hawaii when I was like eight. I had a friend living mm. there and my parents sent me by myself 
and I remember going into the ocean and like I had from where I was giving my shots in my stomach I'd recently started giving my shots in my stomach because I'd always been kind of afraid of that I'd always been Mm -hmm. my legs and my arms and I was trying to give my legs and arms a break and I remember the way the salt water stung Mm. my stomach and it was I don't know why I'm remembering this now but like that's a really interesting like I remember it being very painful and you know feeling strange about like having those areas being red and rashy and yeah hurting and i mean there's just so many layers to like the effects of these marks that are left on you yeah physically emotionally and for sure and and so there are these outward things you're also then talking about the internal things Mm -hmm. because there is there are a lot of ways that the internal scarring processes you have build up of your biomaterial in areas that are i mean because you are hitting it with an injector, it then stays in there. And even if it is designed in a way that is pretty good at dealing with people's uh, systems, bodies still react to an object being forced into it over and over and over again. And so you've got the scarring, you've got what people refer to as these pump bumps, right? Um, That's building up not only on the outside, but inside the body Mm -hmm. as well. And so... You know, we've got these really complicated web of uh, the scarring and marking that are left as traces of these device uses, and it's layered with the social and emotional scarring involved in some of that as well. Thanks for being with us today and joining our conversation, and we always appreciate the lessons. Make sure that you go and like and subscribe wherever it is that you are listening right now. Leave us a comment uh, on Instagram. If you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It only takes a minute and it really does help us out. And lastly, (laughs) do go check out diabretic.com, our new website. Uh, If it's not up right now, it will be very soon here this week. And so watch for some more content headed there. 